The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. The Wallaroos are into the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals. And the Wallabies Spring Tour has already been hit with its first injury setback. Uh, and you will find the biggest and best rugby discussion on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Loved having the wonderful Georgina Robinson back on the pod last week. A really interesting chat on the World Cup fortunes and the future of the Wallaroos and women's rugby in general, as well as some proper honesty about the Wallabies and especially Dave Rennie's future. Uh, you can have your say, as always, each week on the Raw, or you can hit us up on the socials. Joining me this and every week, a man the podcast travel budget overlords tell me spent the weekend in San Diego, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. This will be good. How are you going to explain this one? <laughs> How's it, Brett? I was uh, speaking to an international assemblage about how to handle scandals. Mostly, <laughs> I create them, and then I yeah. solve those very same scandals. Yeah. So, Did you mention that? Did you leave that important first bit uh, off? Well, I you created them? some at the CN San Diego <laughs> conference. <laughs> and you then handed around business cards. Should have seen the dirty dancing with a... No, so I wanted to explain <laughs> to the pod listeners something very strange. Why am I so obsessed with Australia? Uh, it's good a very question. simple story. Yeah, it's a good tale. So I shared for a while while we were smashing down banana trees in the backyard to build on an extra part of our house in the leafy suburb, southern suburbs of Constantia. I shared a bathroom, a toilet, as you would say in Australia, with my sisters. So three sisters, all reading materials were in that toilet that I could consume. And one of them was a romance novel. And um, I was... Wait. Where's this going? I was nine years old or so, and the, the, the novel was set in Australia, and it was a very strange one. So please tell me, DM me if you find this book. But the opera singer from Sydney was sent to Victoria, to Melbourne, to study opera. And she had a tall, dark, cruel uh, singing instructor who also was, on weekends, a lumberjack. Is that even possible? <laughs> And this allowed him, you know, to tear his shirt open and stuff. And then at the end, <laughs> it's, it's, it's this familiar boy-girl, boy-girl thing at the end. He, uh, he, ha he has this, like, you know, really steamy scene. And I was just reading it because I was on the toilet and I was eight or nine years old and I was bored. <laughs> Uh, along with other material that made us made me convinced I had breast cancer for a while, but whatever. <laughs> the point is that that's why I thought Australia was this place where you got to just like cut down trees and then get the beautiful girl. So hmm. am I wrong? Is that no, no? That's um, Monday to Friday, you mate. That's no, that's just how we operate. <laughs> that's just how we operate. Uh, well, on that note, I, I'm really not sure how to follow that. Um, so let's just get on to this week's guest. Uh, and it's something of a homecoming to the Raw for someone who's going to kick off Spring to a Series themed podcast every week for the next month or so. The Raw Rugby Podcast. Connections have been confirmed with the pod's brand new Glasgow studio. And from there, it's a very warm welcome to Scottish rugby and football commentator, broadcaster and journalist, Jamie Lyle. Hello, mate. Hey. How are you? Hey, mate. It's great to chat to you again. How are you? Yeah, really well. Now, Harry, Jamie started on the Raw as a young rugby writer within a few years of me. So we're talking probably 10 years ago or so, I'd say, mate. Yeah, and then, 2013, something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, and then he's found his way into one of the very best training programs in sports broadcasting by the BBC. Since then, he's gone on to cover Six Nations games, international and premiership rugby. He covers the URC. He's worked for 
BT Sport, for Amazon, for the BBC, plenty of others, uh, as well as still writing regularly for plenty of outlets, including Rugby Pass, The 15. Mate, I don't know how you're keeping, all up, keeping up with all that. There's a fair bit going on there. <laughs> You just stay like seven out of ten throughout, really. I don't uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been hectic. But as, as somebody, as I was saying just before we went on, somebody at my age and stage, um, you won't find me complaining about about being busy. Because um, no. Lord knows that anyone who's been a freelancer in this business knows how quickly it can turn and how it feels when the opposite is true and you're waiting for the phone to ring or for a WhatsApp to land or for somebody anybody to to get yeah. in touch and say could you please do this could you please go here um but yeah it's hectic um my, my poor partner and my little stepson have almost forgotten what i look like at this stage <laughs> no it's, it's just it's fantastic we harry jamie and i used to speak a fair bit uh, in, in our early days and, and for a while there mate it felt like our paths were sort of mirroring each other and then at some point i mean and i'd you know, did did what I did what I could with the ABC and did a lot of great stuff. And then suddenly I realised, bloody hell, he's calling tests. He's calling he's calling everything for TV and radio. And uh, it's fair it's to say you. It's a part. Oh, like, well, so true. Jamie, did you actually think for a long time that he was um, Laidlaw, Greg Laidlaw of the of the Scottish <laughs> national team? Look at him. <laughs> there's there's definitely a bit of uh, I don't know border scrum half. There's uh, that about you, Brett. No doubt about it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. just because the jersey you've got, but the big kind of 1990s baggy cotton traders effort or yeah. Canterbury effort. Yeah, yeah, it is too. It is, it is a, it is, a, it is a Canterbury number as well. This is this you is an old. You're trying to un- unleash a rabbit punch yeah. or two on a this an is an old, uni- an old university jersey. That's this is how far. That's how deep I'm now reaching into the podcast wardrobe. This is this is <laughs> well old. This one. Um, Jamie, you also you see you told me you were a flanker or some loose mm. forward, you look like someone who would have been just like me, good at being bad, getting away with a few extra shots. <laughs> I got a little bit of this and that in the ruck. Well, you know, it's, the gentleman never tells, does he? But um, <laughs> yeah, it was, I can't, like university rugby was fun for that um, because you would often be, and actually where I grew up in the north of Scotland, there, there were a couple of big private schools um, who, uh, I was going to use a bad word there. They, they, they didn't like uh, confrontation. They didn't like, um, or they weren't used to being roughed up a bit. So you could yeah. have a bit of fun. Listen, they were, they were superior rugby players, a lot of them. They had they had better resources and bigger resources. And we sort of rocked up with a kind of half team of kind of Air Force brats, half team of uh, farmers um, and local country boys rolled up the sleeves and, um, and just sort of, I don't remember, I remember. <laughs> It was, it was really good fun, actually, because these teams would actually have a crowd. Like, when you got to kind of yeah. under 18 level and you played them, you know, your average crowd was maybe 15 mums and dads, a couple of dogs, and a few of the old committee boys who turned <laughs> out with a hip flask before the, the first 15 yeah. senior team went and played after you on, on the good pitch. So you were playing in among sort of dog poo and broken branches and all sorts of stuff. But when you played these schools and you were playing their first 15 and kind of under 18s grade, yeah. their entire school would get time off to go and watch the play yeah, on the Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. School. So the whole school would come on. And it's nothing <laughs> like like South Africa, Harry. It's nothing like, you know, Parole Boys against Parole Gym, where you've got the stars of tomorrow and you've right. got maybe 20,000 20, people watching yeah. you. Yeah. You had a couple of hundred, um, which when you're 18, feels like you're playing at Twickenham. And for most of us, <laughs> certainly myself included, was as close as we ever got to playing at a big boy stadium. Um, but it was really fun. And there were, yeah, there were some good scraps and some good tussles. And 
people getting involved from the sidelines and stuff. Um, but yeah, I was, I was actually... Yeah, when the father's, when the father's is... ran on, then you know it's, it's, it's gone too far. Oh, what was, it? was it James Haskell's dad or someone ran on to try and look at it? I can't remember. Some scrap oh, was it's, it feels It feels like it would be. Was, it, was it George North's dad? Yeah, up on it could the pitch be. Celebrate with him in a, a Six Nations test match. Could be. Huckled off by security. I don't know. This, this might be libelous. I'm not sure, but there's, there's been a few over exuberant dads, even in the pro ranks. So, well, yeah, look, I was we, a very we'll... uh, rock shy flanker. I would say I wasn't. I was uh, spectacular. <laughs> I, I loved. I loved having the ball in my hands. I loved. I was saying to you before when you're standing pitch side, and I'm sure you've had this as well, Brett. You're standing pitch side before a match. You know, a professional game. The boys are all warming up in front of you. You're waiting to interview the coach or player or whoever, or just chat to somebody beforehand. Mm. And there's a, a kind of bag of balls or a, just a, a row of balls laid up for oh, a trail. Yeah. Maybe there's one yeah. of the kickers left to stream. Yeah. Oh, God, I could just... Yeah. Run on. I, I could hit a drop goal from here from 50. Yeah. No problem, yeah. Swing a left boot of that. Yeah. Um, so that, that never leaves you, despite the fact that I haven't been able to play regularly for sort of six or seven years just because of the, the career that I've um, yeah. been very lucky to, to blunder into. You rock up to a captain's run press conference on a Friday morning or something like that and there's a just a beautiful line of Gilberts there and you yeah. say oh I just want to fire those <laughs> off oh, so I feel I feel the open space up until the, the farm I have lost matches which was uh, actually not that long ago well mm. open space I went looking for contact where's a guy I can hit <laughs> so yeah. I got nervous but I yeah. understand that you might be qualified then for our raw squad and you you gave me a little bit of a tip you are the unusual rare species subspecies of a forward who can kick, no? Yes, I loved goal kicking. Absolutely loved it. The squad is complete. Of success. The squad um, is complete. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> Left peg um, would line them up from anywhere, missed 90% of them, but was quite big and quite confident and quite convincing, so I normally got to get the tee anyway. But, yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was all right. We actually, with my school team, we had... Um, a mate of mine, a laddie called Jack Savile, who was a fly half, who was obviously the conventional kicker. He was right food and I was left food. So we just basically drew a line down the middle of the pitch, went, you take him from the right, I'll take him from the left. And uh, we did, we did I okay. Love the idea of a, I love the idea of a guy kicking 10% and still being confident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Penalty 40. 40 you'll, find, just... you'll find this is a, a fairly constant thread in my career path of faking it till I make it. And in, goal, in the sense of goal kicking, <laughs> only in my tiny and nausy mind did I ever come close to, to making it as a half decent <laughs> 50 million goal kicker. Um, oh, I hope career will bear slightly more fruit than my uh, my playing career did. It's certainly sound, it's, you, you've you've certainly got a little bit further behind the uh, behind the <laughs> mic, mate. That's that's fair fair to say. Let's we'll, we'll, we will get into the uh, to the test match and the, and the and the automation series very soon. But let's start where we start every weekend. What stood out for us? On this on this weekend of rugby, what what did you cover, mate? What did you see, Jamie? Uh, well, I was supposed to be covering um, one of the URC matches uh, involving one of the South African teams, so I was going to be doing Lions against Glasgow on Saturday. But uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw there was a, a sort of a World Cup '95 esque yes. bout of uh, gastroenteritis that swept yes. through two of the teams actually, Ulster and uh, Glasgow, who. I think Glasgow had just been in Durban. Ulster, I think, were just going to Durban or just uh, began their preps in, in Durban uh, to play the Sharks. Glasgow had just left to go down to uh, Joburg and play the Lions. Um, and both matches were called off. So and that was a little bit frustrating from a, a commentary perspective, but not half as bad as for the, the poor laddies who are um, afflicted by something pretty 
Oh, pretty yeah. gruesome by the sounds of it, particularly in a, in a foreign country in a hotel room. Um, not pleasant. But yeah, I ended up, I was, uh, I was due to do that on the Saturday and then I had um, a Premiership game on the Sunday. So I was down in Manchester um, watching Sail Sharks lose their first game of the season. Their first game, yeah. Harlequins. Yeah, yeah, Marcus Smith inspired Harlequins. Um, they were going for six from six to start of the season, uh, which they'd never done before. They were eight from eight. If you stretch back to the last uh, three games of last season, they'd never gone, as I say, six from six to start of a campaign. They'd never gone nine from nine in the yeah. Premiership ever. And then Quinn's rocked up and did a real number on them. They were very, very impressive at the breakdown, which against Sale Sharks, remember, I don't know how much Premiership you boys get to watch, but Sale Sharks, Tom Curry, um, the Dupree lots, twins, of, Daniel lots, of, lots of Curries, lots of Duprees, isn't they? Yeah, lots of curries, lots of Dupreas, lots of size, uh, lots yeah. of oomph, lots of South African beef, um, and a lot of really talented young um, English and a couple of Scottish lads as well who are emerging from their academy. And they've got a really good squad. And of course, they've got Manu Tuolani um, just cleaving people in two in the midfield. Yeah. So they're a hell of a prospect. And at home, they've only lost three games in the past uh, 18 months. The premiership's been ticking along pretty well from the little bits that I've seen. Harry, what, what did what did you what did you see over the weekend? What stood out? Yeah, two moments, uh, one horizontal and one perpendicular. Uh, the first one horizontal, I think, is actually born of the problem of the Scottish accent and the uh, colliding with South African accents. So you have those classic Glaswegians, Scott Cummings and Jack Dempsey running around <laughs> in Shlonga Beach. And they encountered a guy, you know, Flippies de Toy, who said, uh, hey, guys, you want some curry, hey? And they were like, absolutely. <laughs> a new Scottish accent. And, and, then, uh, and then they thought it was something else. And then they said, could we have some toast? And then the South African didn't know what toast was. So we came up with bunny chow, which is a giant cavernous piece of very old bread that has the hottest curry that has ever been devised in Mumbai <laughs> or Delhi. And they stick it in there and it's been sitting around fermenting for about seven days. And then with some banana beer on top of that. And then they washed it down with some shlanga surf water. And so all of a sudden these guys are just pooing on both ends and the URC is, uh, is put on hold. So that was the horizontal side. I'm still a little bit dubious about it, but let's say that all 37, 50, whatever, you know, are up chucking. My vertical was uh, Mornay Stain placing the ball oh. so differently from you every other You showed me this. Kicker. You showed me and this. He never misses. And for some reason, no other kicker copies him. So yeah. I'm always wondering about the kicking coaches and why that sweet spot, when it's, you know, when it's actually off the, the edge is so hard to so much harder to hit and Mornay kicks it right in the middle of the sweet spot every time I mean do yeah. you have any theories about that Brent you're the I, kicking coach yeah yeah noted kicker kicker that I was um we're always told that the sweet spot isn't actually the end of the ball but it's sort of just off the end of it and so yeah. you're right Mornay yeah. holds the ball up you know quite straight and he's sort of he's hitting he's sort of hitting a above the end of it he's on australia he kicks, yeah, he kicks the yeah. ball at australia yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah whereas whereas a lot of guys will have the yeah. ball sitting on almost 45 degrees and they're basically hitting the end of it which if you, it's a bit of a throwback to um like toe pokers like yeah. these that stand, yeah. stand at 45 degrees and just hit it end on so it's a i i have to admit i'd not until you actually sent me the picture that, that little video um i'd not noticed that i'd not 
I'd not re- recalled how straight he is. And he the just ball, drops but you're the right, mic, and he right? doesn't he, miss. He kicks it and he just turns around and runs away. It's completely yeah. contentious. Yeah, like and he doesn't use it. a very yeah. tall tee either. He he it's pretty. It's sitting pretty low to the ground, so he's just sort of. Yeah, almost, almost like your, your golf driver head. He's, he's basically sweeping the grass with his boot as he gets. Anyway, let's not get into the technicalities <laughs> of of kicking. My my very quick stand down on the weekend. I, I went to New Zealand um, for the weekend, and Wellington beat Canterbury twenty six eighteen in Christchurch on Saturday to claim mm. their first NPC title since two thousand. Um, and it goes with the Ranfurly Shield that they lifted yeah. off Hawks Bay earlier this year. So. Um, I mean, I'm quite sure that the celebrations are still going on. The other Jamie, about four or five days Jamie later. Wall. Jamie Wall, friend of the pod, he's um, <laughs> he's he's holding up celebrations right at this point in Lost time. I'm quite brains. sure he yeah. certainly did. He certainly did. Let's get onto the test matches, um, and and we'll kick off the we call it the spring tour. You you will call it the uh, yeah. Lord of Nations series, Jamie. Sure. Scotland Wallabies this Saturday at uh, at Murrayfield Sunday morning Australian time. I mean. This is a really interesting test because it falls outside the test window. So Scotland didn't pick Finn Russell. There's no Stuart Hogg. Um, They have a new Scott in Jack Dempsey. What's been the reactions to to, to the Scotland and the Australian squads coming north? I mean, the reaction to... It's interesting. There's a a brilliant journalist, uh, Tom English, who's the, the chief sports writer at BBC Scotland, who... If you've not spoken to or haven't met a uh, person, you'll certainly have, have been aware of him through social media and yeah. seen his byline on any number of you know, outstanding pieces over the last 20 years. But he uh, he broke the story that Finn Russell wasn't going to be in the squad. Um, yes, I saw it. He broke it the night before it went out. So it would have broken probably early morning Australia time on last Thursday or whenever it was. Yeah. Um, and it was almost like just disbelief. Like r- rugby's not massive here, right? But there's a very... I think as there is in a lot of countries, there's a very dedicated and borderline obsessive kind of core on, on rugby <laughs> Twitter. Like Scottish rugby Twitter. Yeah. There, this definitely exists. It certainly exists in Wales, Ireland, other countries. Yeah. Um, and we have it too. And some of these accounts are just going absolutely taunting. Like, what is it? It was almost like it'd been a death in the family. No, this can't be. I don't believe it. It's not right. It was almost like it was a mood of um, shock, um, indignation, grief. Um, yeah, How right. dare you? And also resentment at Gregor Townsend for leaving out Finn Russell, um, because the implications of this are quite could be quite substantial. Um, there's there's obviously a, a, a backstory and a narrative uh, around their relationship. So the, the relationship was, I guess, strained is probably the the, the kind term to use at yeah. times. Um, I don't think Gregor. I don't think Finn enjoyed the way that. The Gregor ran the environment. I think he felt it was too controlling, too stifling of personality, too robotic. And I think certain players perhaps felt that they weren't given enough leeway or you know treated like adults is, is a phrase that yeah, yeah, used yeah. By, yeah. by people yeah. who, who by, by ex-players who know guys in the camp. Yeah. Um Gregor's philosophy is is very much team first growth mindset, um, all for one uh sort of brotherhood kind of culture. Um, and no man is bigger than the team. No person is more important than the collective. Um, and it's a really interesting mm. dynamic. They use him at racing to game to game plan. Um, yeah, he runs, he runs the attack. He runs the game. Yeah. Um, and he's he's very dedicated. You know, he, he learned French very quickly after after signing for them. Um, speaks fluent French as far as I know, um, and is very involved in the kind of the structure. And how the good was how good was he on the weekend, Jamie? He's terrific, uh, and that, that's classic Finn Russell. That's, yeah. that's 
he doesn't use you know, there's umpteen instances where he's been down, where he's had a poor performance, where he's done, he's tried things and it's not worked. And the next weekend he's been nearly flawless. Because I just love it. I love it. Stuff. I love it that, so that Tooney dropped him for yeah. I love that Tooney dropped him and said, You gotta go work on your uh form of consistency. Yeah. And then Finn bangs 18 points in a win. Yeah, he has three try assists, he's doing offloads, mm. he's doing cross mm. kicks. Yeah, and then you're saying so Ross Thompson, Blair Kinghorn, and Adam Hastings better than Finn Russell. Yeah. <laughs> Come this on, is Judy. where this is where yeah. the rationale kind of falls yeah. in. I think I understand why they've they've used that, or the SRU and Gregor Times that have used that as the the party line for Finn Russell's omission because they probably don't want to stoke uh, the fire of there's more disagreement, there's more discontent, there's a personality clash. Because it doesn't reflect well on either on either party. It doesn't reflect well no. on Finn Russell that his coach doesn't want to trust him, despite his his clear talent and his his status as I would say the most important player in the Scotland squad, certainly the most valuable and the, the hardest to replace when he's not there. Um, and it doesn't reflect well on Gregor Townsend's ability to man manage his best, most important, yeah, exactly, biggest yeah, personality. Yeah. Is the expectation, yeah, but- mate, that um that 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 Russell and Hogg and those guys who are playing outside Scotland, is, is the expectation that they will come back into the squad for the three tests within the, the, oh, yeah, the, the yeah, ring yeah, nine yeah. window? So all, yeah. all those guys yeah. that are, I mean, Hogg's in the squad. They just won't be. Yeah. There. And there's, you know, I think probably 10 or 11 exiles who are based in England and France um, who can't play the first weekend, but will certainly yeah. be involved in the next yeah. three. Uh, there's no, no question of that. And if, uh, if this test was inside the window, then they'd, they'd be playing this play, yeah. as well. But that, that's why, that's why it has to have, Ross Thompson in there because Hastings plays in Gloucester, so he can't play against the Wallabies. So you, Kinghorn will start at ten against the Wallabies, and Thompson will be the backup ten. Um, yeah. I would have thought unless he unless he shuffles the back lane a bit, but there isn't really an obvious um, candidate to, to step in there. Certainly at test level, but this is where the form and consistency argument has has some holes in it because you know Ross Thompson is is a fine young player, but he's played twenty one minutes of rugby this season. He's, he's yeah, come back right. from a hamstring injury. Yeah. Played 21 minutes off the bench, I think, against the Sharks uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and that's all the rugby he's had. Finn Russell, I think, has played five or six games for Racing. And he's not been brilliant, but he's been good. You know, his stats, I looked up yeah. his stats. His stats are decent. Um, you know, he's scored 87 points. Game. I mean, you know, he's hanging over. Yeah. It's kicking as well. His goal kicking is good. Yeah, yeah he's been good. don't have Greg Laidlaw anymore. That becomes very important. Um, because whoever plays 10 generally has got the... <laughs> The burden of it. <laughs> right, come on. Well, we I know Laidlaw's not playing anymore because we can see him right now. Mr. Mr. Greg, Mr. Greg, come back. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, so the, there's, a, there's a burden of, um, of goal kicking involved as well. But I think um, with, with Finn Russell, there's a, and, and with this group of players as well, if I can broaden it out to the, the squad as a whole, there's a sense of anxiety in Scotland that this is by a distance, the best crop of players that Scotland has mm. had since 99 when they last won the championship. But they've never really come close to, to winning anything tangible. They've had brilliant moments. They've beaten England at Twickenham for the first time since 83. Yeah. They've beaten France yeah. and Paris for the first time since 99. Uh, they're, they're four out of five uh, unbeaten against England. They've lost one in the last five, one, three, drawn one against England, which before that was unheard of for Scotland. Yeah. For years. Certainly throughout the 2000s, throughout my experiences as, as a fan and a journalist unheard of yeah I think yeah. the Wallabies as well since 2017 I think you're right I think that one's maybe three of the last four yeah 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 I mean the yeah. Wallabies used to come up to uh, 
to Murrayfield and Spank's got it. Uh, but they've had these great shooting star moments and, and won three games out of five in a championship. But they've never really been in contention going into Super yeah. Saturday, that final, yeah. that final weekend. They've never had the consistency to back up one great performance with another win, no matter how ugly it is. Mm. And this year was a case in point. To me, it's such a fascinating story, though. You know, Gregor Townsend yeah. and Finn Russell are kind of the same size, six foot, 95, 94 kilograms, fly-offs, mm. both Lions. Not, not dissimilar both did, players. Both didn't mm. play that in play as much as they should have. I think Gregor was kind of a maverick when he was a player. Yeah. He, was yeah. he, was, he was a bit scratchy. Uh, he wouldn't necessarily do the thing that the coach told him to do. He read his autobiography, yeah. which I did. It's actually uh, he's an interesting guy. He didn't. He didn't very, do very clever same. man. He played yeah. in different very countries. Man. Yeah, I think it's funny that they have this kind of super similarity, and maybe it's a case of and, and maybe players, that's the thing: a player, coach, and a player. You know that I, th- I think. Yeah, they, yeah. It's, I, it's, I it's like it's like it's like two it's like two north ends of magnets. They are so similar; yeah. they just repel each other, and that's yeah. that's. I actually think Gregor, the player. I mean, I I can't claim to know Gregor Townsend particularly well, but and, and he's certainly been great to deal with from a mm. a commentary perspective. He's very happy to have off the record chats and just keep you abreast of things around. Commentary notes, you can see he would have grown up in the age and, and played in the age of the great Bill McLaren. He was he was yeah. everywhere. He was ubiquitous at team runs and, and was trusted by everybody because he was never going to, you know, I'm a, I'm a slimy journalist as far as some of these guys are concerned. <laughs> they don't tell me anything. But Gregor's very kind with his, um, you know, t- t- telling me enough that I understand what Scotland are trying to do and can hopefully convey that in an articulate way ha, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. To, the, to the watching public. Um, without obviously Don't. completely saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and yeah. this is we're going to beat them, you know, whatever. We're going to run yeah. this line out at this time and bring on this replacement at this time. But Now you're going after Australian back rowers, mate. I'll tell you about it, yeah. Well, do you know something? I just feel that everyone in the world is qualified for Scotland. It's strange. It's Listen, like- I mean, well... Sioni two below two is the, the case in point. Yes. Now, and Brett, you've got you've got to have a Scottish granny somewhere, Brett, with a name oh. like McKay. Yeah, well, you would think so. Uh, you would think so. We certainly came out on the boat from Scotland, but I actually have more English in me, funnily enough. There's more a direct line of English than than, mm. than Scottish. But anyway, um, we, we touch on Jack Dempsey, mate. What what has been the reaction mm. to to his switch of allegiance? Because the it's like it's, it's been reported down here, and the general feeling is, oh well, good luck to him. He certainly was probably wasn't going to play. For the Wallabies yeah. again, but there's also the underlying feeling of this isn't what this uh, uh, you know, allegiance change allowance yeah. was made for. The whole the idea of it, the intent of it was for players who are no longer playing for your you know your top tier teams yeah. to go back to Pacific Island teams. Basically, yeah, that's what it was sure. created for. I I don't think, and maybe the the the, the allowance was too ambiguous, or maybe it wasn't you know, direct enough. And and so now we've got someone switching from Australia to Scotland. So what's the, what's been the reaction? What's been the feeling? And is there a feeling that that this might actually be the first of many? And we, I think it's inevitable that someone at some point will cross the Six Nations border. And I don't think that's a great look at all. I mean, that's going to happen. That's very possibly going to happen next year. Um I mean, in Jack Dempsey's case, it's obviously a massive step up to, to move from the Wallabies to Scotland, and I, I'm not I'm not sure you'll handle it to be honest. It's a, <laughs> the, jump, the jumping class is just so wide that I, I'm not sure. I think I think he'll struggle to break into the team. No, obviously I'm joking. He's mate, uh, mate, I think right. look, the the connection looks like it's going off, mate. We're just going to have to leave you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about Joe McLaren? You, you may not have um, 
Say again, Harry, sorry. Joe, Joe McMarler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, do you yeah. know, like, we're, we're joking about this at Six Nations. There's a, you guys obviously haven't seen this, but there's a, a very, a major story that broke a couple of weeks ago here. Um, John Cooney, Ulster, Ulster scrum half. Um, mm, yeah. Last cap for Ireland a few years ago, I think 20, early 2020. Uh, Scottish dad. And he was yeah, asked about right. it like, Scott Good years ago and said, no, he wanted to, to, to put his eggs in the Irish basket. He was credited to do that. He's a phenomenal player. He is massive. Really Ulster, absolutely massive. He's a metronomic goal kicker. He's so important to how Ulster play, how they run their game. He dictates tempo. He's a brilliant game manager. He's a brilliant kicker from hand. He's got a good mm. turn of pace. Scores a ball with the tries. And he's a great Nick, leader. He's um, Nick White. He's Nick White without the Deagle. Yeah, yeah, I know mean, he's got a fair bit of niggle as well. Um, oh, yeah, good I mean, like, without, without the flamboyant, um, follicular flamboyance around the, the moustache and stuff, probably. But yeah, he's, he's a tremendous player. <laughs> yeah, he's good hair too. And he's been yeah. a star of Ulster and he's captained Ulster. Um, and, you know, Ulster are one of the, the biggest beasts in uh, in the URC and, and in European rugby as well in terms of heritage and yeah. fan base and money. Um, he just cannot get into the Ireland team. He's now coming up for three years since uh, since he played. And apparently there have been conversations between him and the, and the Scotland coaches around him being interested in it and quite fancying it and knowing that he's got a pretty good shot of going to the World Cup um, as a Scotland player. So there, there's a there's a yeah, right. example so far of someone who, who is supposedly yeah. willing to cross that divide. Rugby on the Raw. Jamie, on uh, Jack Dempsey, so I, yeah. I wrote down a possible 15 for you guys in the first match against Australia, and I had, I had Matt Ferguson, uh, Hamish Watson, and Jamie Ritchie as the loose trio. Yeah, I do think you, that'll be right. You, you fancy uh, Dempsey coming off the bench, or, or when they put a big guy, kind of like how Australia's <clears throat> playing with some big horses at number six um, right now? I think your starting back row is correct. I'm not sure. I don't know if they'll actually play... Dempsey this weekend because yeah. of the obvious emotional yeah. connection. I think it would be it's it's just a quirk of fate that it happens to be his first game that he's he's eligible yeah. to play and happens to be against his his home country and the Wallabies. So he could end up doing a, a, a like a Pete Samu type role, Harry off off the bench because he I know he's been playing a lot of number eight for for, for Glasgow, but he's played he's played six, yeah. he's played seven for, for New South Wales as well. So he's a good carrier, he can right? certainly cover all three. Yeah. He's a really strong oh, yeah. carrier, and I've been. I've actually been really happy to see his highlights coming out of the Warriors this year because he's been playing some good rugby. Uh, that's so, so good. Yeah. That's so good. Man. Like he's um, last season, especially his first season here, he was he was signed by um, well, Danny Wilson was the head coach when he was signed, um, and Danny Wilson wanted to to just reel Glasgow back a bit from the kind of the, the all core. Like I mean, Dave Rennie obviously had them beforehand, and mm. they played some of the most jaw dropping rugby you will ever see under Dave Rennie. But mm. the criticism was. Set piece could be a bit ropey. Uh, defense, because you're playing at such high tempo, when you turn the ball over, which inevitably you do when you're mm. playing high risk, high reward, defense is disorganized, you lose tries, yeah, and they yeah, were a bit yeah. susceptible, as Scotland were around at the time, to just being uh, overpowered physically. Yeah, and, and conceding turnovers. Like, like a yeah. Leinster, a Munster, the big Irish provinces, the real heavies, yeah. would own the ball, would batter them, bludgeon them go 15 phases in the 22, pick and jam, one out carries and score and do it again yeah. and again. But Jack yeah. Dempsey certainly had the, the biggest impact uh, off the lot of them last year. He was, he was a standout for Glasgow. His carrying was outstanding. His offloading, his handling, very, very good. Mm. His basic skill level, very, very good. Handy over the ball. But, you know, massive tackler as well. Mm. 
and everyone's going, oh my God, like that is, this is what they need. Mm. This, this ballast, this this brutality, this yeah. 15 carries and, and, you know, 80, 90 running metres mm. a game. So his highlights are Looking right, really done. good, yeah. And it kind of yeah. came to light, hold on, he's got Scottish ancestry. And then this real, this law change was, uh, was yeah. uh, ratified and uh, folk were like, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. And he said, him, I mean, he said himself in, in, in interviews I've seen that he, you know, signed for Glasgow before that came yeah. in. So he never went to Scotland thinking no, he would play for play for Scotland. So no. look, I can I can un- and I can understand, you know, why he would he would want to do it. And look, you know, good good luck to him, I suppose. We should touch on the wasp the Worcester and and Wasp situation, mate, before we let you go. It's it's yeah. been it's it's certainly sad to see two yeah. two two famous clubs fall over like like they have. Is there a is there a feeling that things could actually get worse before they get better. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's interesting. We we're up here. We're a little removed from the emotional strife of it because no, no nobody in Scotland really has a, a massive connection by and large mm. to either club. Um, but I was talking, was working with um, Lawrence Delalio uh, on uh, yesterday actually, who obviously listeners will know was a, was a phenomenal one of the best players in the world of his, yep, of his day of he spent his entire career at Wasps um, and I asked him so how, how have you found it and he was, he was actually quite emotional and yeah. has been for the last few weeks because like he's a not only is he a huge part of the club and I mean, probably the greatest ever player and certainly most well known player but uh, he was on the board he was a director I think he felt let down by the, the way that the club had been allowed to, to slip in this position through, I think, just bad business decisions and, you know, spending money they didn't have and such. And then the, uh, I believe the straw that broke the camel's back was every club uh, in England took, um, as far as I know, loans from the, the DCMS, Department for, Culture, Department for Culture, Media and Sport, to see them yeah. through COVID. And they were on various payment plans to pay those back. And I believe HMRC, the, the, the revenue, the tax authority, uh, wanted that money back sooner yes. uh, or changed their, their their mind on how quickly that money yeah. needed to be repaid. And that was similar was for Worcester, wasn't it? Camels back. That was Wasps, yeah. Worcester, Worcester was different. Worcester, there were their names of certain assets. Been, uh, sullied. Been, yeah. Yes, they were like yeah, sell-off sell yeah, car yeah. parks. They, they, they had yeah. a network of this labyrinth of about 50 different companies and subsidiaries through which they were bouncing land back and forth. And, yeah, and, right. You know, selling bits and pieces to themselves. It was all very CD and very... I think there's there's a big bit of good news that there's a brilliant um, young reporter called uh, Marcelo Caselli Francis, who's the local Worcester paper reporter, who's been just like a dog with a bone on this. Been superb in terms of updates and scoops and stories. And he had a piece today in the uh, I think it's the Worcester Gazette, uh, saying that the, the administrators expect to have a preferred buyer pretty soon, which is encouraging. As long as the good. club can survive, it's just it's not going to be a professional team like Wasps. I mean, I think Lawrence Delalio is, is determined that. I think he wants to be part of the part of the future for them and part of the from what he was saying, trying to to to, to buy like buy the, the name, the copyright, the brand wasps to keep it alive and then sort of build the, rebuild the club around that, but just make yeah. sure that the legacy is not lost. But yeah, in terms of getting worse before it gets better, Jesus, I I mean the the, the way it's run uh, in England, it's effectively thirteen wealthy blokes or groups of yeah. blokes and a few women who are happy to accept the loss year on year. Who are willing to to soak up a loss um, every year. And if one of them decides he or she's had enough losing money, one of them decides it's not worth it anymore, or they've lost they just enthusiasm, walk away. if one of them passes away, 
you know, it doesn't take much for them to pull out or for them to say, look, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. Uh, Mick uh, Cross, I believe his name is, I apologise if, I, if I've um, got his surname wrong, but he's a London Irish owner. He said, uh, he did a piece, I think, in the mail the other week saying he would uh, he would sell it, uh, maybe misquoting him, but sell it for, for a quid, for a euro, if someone came and offered him it, just to, to say, look, that's me, I've done a bit now, I want this off my hands. Yeah, Jamie, I wanted to make sure our listeners go to a very thoughtful piece that you wrote in Rugby Pass, talking about the actual human cost, the um, how this has affected some of these players. Some of these players may not find a new club. Yes. Some will, obviously. Yeah. Vincent Koch will, you know, World Cup winner and current yeah. Spielberg. There's a lot of other guys who are number player number 27. So I'm, I'm going to come in. Yeah. I know we have to run pretty soon, Brett, but I wanted our, our listeners to just take a look at that. It's it's really well written and well, a good reportage. No, thank you, yeah. bro. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's scary, like some of these guys who, like rugby's precarious, and they're all taught, and they're always drilled into these boys now mm. from academies to, to have a backup, to have a you know they call it a dual career track to have your rugby, to have something yeah, else running yeah. parallel, so you can yeah. one stop to pick the other one up. But but I actually I, I feel for those boys, of course, but I actually feel most of all for the staff. Like yes, I don't true, know the true. Staff. I mean, the lady in the ticket office. I mean, the media manager who was on yeah. thirty grand a year, who's now on nothing. Yeah. Um, no redundancy pay, no furlough, nothing. Um, you know, players players will, by and large, be okay. They will they will find employment, and they do have. Although your outgoings when you tend to make a bit more money are tend to be higher, and to, to reflect that, they're on a lot more money than the man on the street. Yeah, uh, most of them anyway. They're on some of them will be on six figures um, for being a mid tier player, uh, which in the UK is is a very good salary, certainly now with the cost of things. Uh, and there'll be guys who are on 20, 30 grand salaries working for the club uh, who will have, have found themselves unemployed almost yeah. overnight with no wages uh, in, a, in a horrific economy where inflation's at 11%, where yeah. the cost of fuel, petrol, uh, heating your home, buying food, public transport is strikes and everything because those workers are being shafted. And the government is changing. I mean, we've had more prime ministers than, I don't know, Scotland have had rugby coaches in the last few years. <laughs> it's scary. It's yeah. sort of all the We've just got a new one today. Um, so the economy <laughs> is in a state of flux. Uh, and, you know, I actually feel for those guys more yeah. so than I do. I as feel bad for, as opposition to the players. I feel, I feel worse for those guys. I, think. I feel for someone like you know Fergus Lee Warner who who left the Western Force yeah. at the end of Super Rugby this year to he was on the verge of Australian squads but just couldn't quite break through. Felt like he needed to go yeah. overseas and get some more experience. Goes to Worcester and never got to play a game for them. And oh, that's yeah, that's and a really there's bad a long list of guys like that. Yeah, it's, plenty. Um, it's a re- it's a real shame. Yeah, it is. It is. Look, mate, it's been it's been a really great conversation but great great to have you on um we we in australia won't get your commentary uh for this weekend you're working radio as it is no. but we will yeah. we, we, we will definitely hear you calling games through this autumn nations cup series uh look best of luck with it i uh, hope it all goes well you i know you i know you keep yourself busy um we hear you on the premiership regularly we're here on the urc regularly just keep going, mate. You've um, you've gone you've gone a long, long way since the early days of those nervous raw articles ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were they were nervy, all right. I think I almost sparked an international incident once where I it was something I I, I was friendly with a, a Sansa referee at the time, uh, and I won't say who it was because uh, they're still they're still around in, in the mm-hmm. refereeing world just now. But the referee had told me, oh, there's a there was a, a note sent round that the uh, the penalty given against McCall. 
the year, I think it was 2014, the year the Waratahs won the final, the decisive penalty. Yes. He basically said, we got this wrong, we screwed this up. Um, and he said, listen, just so you know, like, there's an admission. That they, I don't, I don't maybe Angus Gardner or Craig Joubert, I don't know, whoever was the official at the time, had, uh, had called it wrong that McCall actually was on his feet, um, which was uh, a kind of constant grey, wasn't it? It was one of rugby's great grey areas, is Richard McCall on his feet or coming through the gate. Um, <laughs> First time ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, most, most time probably not, but he got away with it every, t- every single time, such as the, the ultimate master of the dark arts we spoke about earlier. But uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote that on the roar and folk were like, what like, this is no, 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 yeah. no. Like, who, is this? who is this guy? This it's guy, still, this guy, how dare you say that? How yeah. dare you try and take our title away? And I was like, it still comes right? up, it still comes up every now and again. There'll be a crusader supporter say, No, nah, there was an omission. I'm sure there was an article written on the roar. <laughs> <laughs> it still comes up. Your legacy reigns on, uh, as, as always, mate. Look, it's been it's been fantastic to, to have you. Uh, best of luck with the commentary and, and everything. Keep Thank going, you, and we will, um, we will touch base again before, well, hopefully in a sooner, a sooner time frame than, uh, than what it's been this time. Well, maybe Paris yes, next year, if you boys get over, we'll, uh, we'll share a glass of wine. But um, th- thank you so much for, um, for inviting me on. It was great to connect again. Great to chat. Um, and sorry, you're going to have an awful job editing this because I've talked about a steam train on steroids. Um, so this is, this is meant to be half an hour and I've gone for 90 minutes. So um, terribly sorry about that. But it's, be, it's been a pleasure um, putting the, the Scottish Rugby World to rights um, on your show. Thank you so much for having me. The Roar. Mate, fantastic to have uh, have Jamie Lyle um, on there. He's um, he's left me with a, a hell of an edit job, but uh, when you're listening to this, you'll know that I've done that pretty successfully. What we didn't get a chance to talk to Jamie about was Women's World Cup uh, quarterfinals this weekend. We've got France, Italy, and then New Zealand, Wales in Whangarei on Saturday. And then Sundays, England, Australia, Canada, USA. Um, four pretty good games, I think. Like, I think it, it feels to me like it's set up pretty well for France, New Zealand, England, Canada. Semi-final. Yeah, I think. And in fact, I think Canada has been very good. They have they're been really very good. good. They have a very good mall. Their drive is. I think their mall is the best. So I actually think of those four teams, I, I think the quarterfinals. Are just a ceremony. I think in the semifinals you might see an upset because I'm not totally convinced about England in this exact tournament, which is very strange to say because they're the best team in the world. Strange to say about a team that's won 28 yeah. straight tests, isn't it? Yeah, they look a little bit. Yeah, and that yeah. that's also what worries me too. Is 28, yeah. 29? It's they're due. They're due. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, the, the Wallaroos have been. Absolutely fantastic. They were wonderful right. against Wales, yeah. patient, brave, yeah. stoic, um, did everything yeah. they needed to do to get that win. But holy moly, England is a totally different kettle of fish. And I just wish them all the very, very best of luck because they're going to need that and plenty. Yeah, English. the English players are on $30,000 if they win the cup so win bonus yes yes that's a yes. that's just their bonus yeah so yeah th- th- there's a big difference in some of these teams it's it's not like the men's yeah world cup where you pretty much have professionalism at about parity you know, across the board. 13 yeah. Teams, yeah yeah no we'll see i think we'll see the professional teams w- win through from, from here on in which sets up the semi-finals nicely and it's been a we've said it for a few weeks now it's been a wonderful tournament um if you've if you've been tuning in and out this is this weekend coming is the time to, to tune back in because the uh the knockout games will be absolutely fantastic um a little bit of news before we go out uh we mentioned um 
yeah, the, the Wallabies are obviously in France now, getting ready for uh, for Scotland at Murrayfield this weekend. They lost Matt Phillip to an ACL rupture at training in Sydney on Wednesday last week, their last field session before flying out that afternoon. Uh, Darcy Swain will now join the squad, but then isn't available until the Italy test. New Zealand have got injury concerns and unavailabilities for Japan this weekend. The three Barretts didn't fly. Sam Whitelock, Will Jordan, Falau Fakatava didn't. Uh, didn't fly either. Falau Fakatav has done an ACL again. They, they worry, so he could be out for a chunk of time. And now Lester Fanganuku returned to New Zealand on Monday for family reasons as well. So um, they've lost seven players now. They've caught up four from the from the All Blacks 15 uh, squad, including Brad Weber, I think, um, to, to cover there. Wales have got an injury list as long as they are now. Their current unavailability, unavailability list reads... Tane Basham, Dan Bigger, Leon Brown, Seb Davis, Wyn Jones, Josh Navidi, Johnny Williams, Liam Williams, George North, Dewey Lake, Josh Adams, Alex Cuthbert. That's, I mean, that's a fair team on the sidelines, isn't it? Yeah, it's too much rugby for these guys. You know, yeah. you, have, you have guys like Jasper Visa, who's a bit of a tank, but uh, him and uh, he and uh, Julian Montoya, are, they're nearing 40 games in a, in a 12- year. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Ireland rugby head coach Andy Farrell has been left counting the cost after the Leinster Munster derby uh, at the Aviva on Saturday. Joey Carberry went off with a with a shoulder injury, and he's got a few other uh, players with with a bit of a, a an injury concern there as well. So, what sort of teams we see on this in in these November internationals um, is is anyone's guess right at this point in time. It's been announced that the All Blacks and Springboks will play a pre-World Cup warm-up game in August next year at Twickenham. It's the first time they've played each other at Twickers since that tense semi-final in 2015. So that'll be a hell of a warm-up, won't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there'll be a little bit of cash involved. We've got no doubt. Uh, Ulster, we mentioned the gastro outbreak. Ulster have stoutly defended their decision to call off their scheduled round six URC game with the Sharks on the weekend, putting out a statement on Sunday that outlined that both E. coli and neurovirus were found in tested samples, uh, which is details you didn't really need to know, but that's what that's the extent that they've gone to to try and quell some of the cynicism that is around from you South African types, let's face it. Well, the URC is launching an investigation, and I would not want to be in that investigation. I mean, what kind of... Yeah, what kind of sampling are you going to have? <laughs> uh, it sounds nasty, doesn't it? Sounds very nasty. And a shout out as well to friend of the pod, Franz Malherber, who became the most capped stormer of all time when he ran out onto Carter Farms Park to face the Blues uh, last weekend. The Stormers lost to the Blues in the end, but Malherber's gone past the great shock burger. 124 caps for the Stormers. And he's just, just huge congrats to him. You think about the players that played at that club, you yeah. Know, and uh, it's actually and for a thirty-one-year-old guy playing such a physically and that's the thing. Position, yeah, he, he could he could go for another he could go for another four or five years yet. So he could could give you know he he could go on. He doesn't run. He doesn't run too much to blow out the, the knees. You know, <laughs> he knows. He knows his channel, goalpost to goalpost. That's but, mate, it. that is episode 41 of the Royal Rugby Podcast in the can. Don't forget Harry and I are both on the socials. And do leave us a rating or a review if you've enjoyed the pod so far. It all helps uh, with the uh, with the algorithms, the listings, the boffins tell us. It's all helpful for that sort of thing. The 
Thursday two up is back on the site this week with our spring tour expectations. Um, and we will be back with Jim Tucker on Sunday morning, Australian time as well with another, another instant reaction after the Scotland Wallabies test at Murrayfield. So don't forget to like, follow, subscribe. Nice. Yeah. That's on your pod platform of choice. And you'll, you'll make sure that new episode drops as soon as it goes live. It's the raw rugby podcast with me, Brett McKay and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favorite international rugby analysis, opinions, and long conversations. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Take the high road and I'll take the low road. And I'll get to Scotland for you. Come play with us. Hello and welcome to the road. Excellent. Great start. <laughs> I don't think we've actually got a bloopers tape, but we have now. <laughs>